my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 302. Again, I hope you're doing very, very well. I uh, This morning I woke up, woke up, I woke up, I watched the Seahawks play the 49ers. I watched the Packers play the Vikings. Uh, but I want to start today by talking about two young quarterbacks. So in case you don't know, on Sunday, the Denver Broncos beat the L.A. Chargers 31-30. to And uh, the Broncos are now 3-4. and four. The Chargers are now 2-5. and five. This was a really, really fun game. Uh, you know, I would call it the battle of two young quarterbacks, Drew Locke against Justin Herbert. Both guys are very talented, but they're also very young. They're still growing. Mistakes were made. Uh, now, the Chargers were up 24-3, to and then the Broncos really powered back and got back into the game. And uh, Broncos quarterback Drew Locke had three touchdowns. All of them were in the second half, and Drew really got better as the game went on. Got more and more comfortable, made some really good throws in the second half. And, uh, you know, I, I guess first of all, Drew was far from perfect. Uh, you know, he had an interception that I'll talk about later. I'm going to compare an interception Drew Locke had to an interception Justin Herbert had and talk about the nuance of how not every interception is made equally. Uh, but it, Drew Locke showed a lot of poise in the second half. Uh, and, and by the way, when I say this was a great game, this really was truly a great game. It literally came down to the final second. First and goal. I'm not kidding. One second left on the clock. And uh, Denver scored on the final play. They kicked the extra point. They won 31 to 30. Now, Denver needed some help, I guess. You know, there was a fourth and four where they got a pass interference call that helped them keep their drive alive. But as a whole, I walked away from this game feeling really good about Drew Locke. And, and by the way, when I, when I praise Drew Locke, a lot of people struggle with this. I'm praising Drew Locke. It doesn't take anything away from Justin Herbert. People really struggle with just because I'm praising Drew Locke. I'm not comparing them. I think they both did very well. I walked away feeling like, man, we have the Chargers and the Broncos, and they both have found their franchise quarterback. How good does that feel? And I hope we get a lot of battles like this for years and years to come between the Chargers and the Broncos. Uh, and they just trade wins, and they trade touchdowns and blows, and it's really, really fun and really, really interesting. Now, I also walked away from this game very, very happy for the Broncos offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer. If you remember, he got fired by the New York Giants. He was the Giants head coach. And in the process of getting fired, he actually upgraded at quarterback. He upgraded from Daniel Jones to Drew Locke, who is, you know, Drew Locke is more talented. And uh, Drew Locke has this air of confidence. And that's this, like, I would call it like a cool air of confidence where he just is chill. He's relaxed. He's very poised. And it was interesting. The Broncos got the ball, you know, down six points. First and 10, two minutes and 24 seconds left in the fourth quarter on your own 19-yard line, meaning they had to drive 81 yards in two minutes, uh, and they needed a touchdown. Now, Drew Locke, I, I would call that a high-pressure situation. I don't, I don't know about you, but Drew Locke was totally fine. He was literally like doing this dance, like dancing, I, I, right before the drive started. And I think that dancing like that is part of how Drew Locke kept his nerves in check and kept himself calm, his mind calm in that moment. But no matter how he does it, I, I really love that Drew Locke was poised and comfortable and calm in a high-pressure situation. 
I also love the way that Drew Locke was aggressively targeting Jerry Judy, the Broncos rookie receiver. Now, they only connected four times. Jerry Judy had four catches for 73 yards, but he was targeted 10 times, meaning they threw the ball to Jerry Judy 10 times. I like that. And in spite of the fact that, you know, they only connected four times in this game, I think you just got to keep targeting Jerry Judy, keep feeding the beast. I, I think he's actually in the conversation maybe as the best rookie receiver in 2020. And I also walked away from this game feeling sad that Cortland Sutton isn't healthy right now. Remember Cortland Sutton tore his ACL, the Broncos' other top receiver. And it's sad because the Broncos are missing out on a year of building chemistry between Cortland Sutton and Drew Locke. It's disappointing. It's too bad. Feels like a missed opportunity. Now, I want to praise one more thing. Denver's offense did not do a lot in the first half. Uh, They really, you know, it was 14-3 to at halftime. Denver only scored three points. But what I did like what was good is that in spite of the fact that they weren't scoring and uh, they weren't, there wasn't a lot happening, at the very minimum, they also weren't turning the ball over. And sometimes you just get beat. There are times where the defense wins and they make a good call or they make a good play. Now, what you can't do as a quarterback and as an offense is compound a loss. You get beat, but don't compound the loss with a mistake. And there was a moment I loved where Drew Locke, you know, was smart and he threw the ball away. And I went, okay. Like, I I knew that going into the game, I I knew the score. When I started watching the game, I knew the final score. So I knew that the Broncos were going to come back. And I love seeing that in the process of, you know, this, you know, really a a whole first half of the Broncos kind of struggling in offense. At the very minimum, Drew Locke was still taking care of the ball, playing a clean game and not having, you know, not compounding that loss with a bad mistake. Now, the Chargers quarterback, Justin Herbert. Oh, my gosh. I, uh, I've i really enjoyed watching this guy play this year. He's played so well. And uh, he just keeps proving me wrong over and over and over again. And I've got no problem with that. He's playing very, very well. He had three touchdowns on Sunday against Denver. Now, I, I will say I, I did think that some of the problems Justin had in college kind of popped up in this game. There was a third and 12 where he had a bad interception that it just wasn't a great decision. There was nothing open. It was a deep post, and uh, the safety was waiting to undercut the ball. That's a pick. You can't make that throw. It's just not there. He was inaccurate a couple times in quick game scenarios. Uh, There was like a slant, for example, he threw behind a receiver. There was a third and five where he led a receiver right into a defender, and that's an old habit he has from college where he got his receivers – killed in college throwing them into contact and he's got to be more aware of where he's throwing and what situation his receiver is in uh but you know honestly I gotta say yeah Justin Herbert had some mistakes in this game but I have no worries either Justin is a young quarterback he's learning but based on how well he's played so far this year and even in this game Justin has earned some patience and some grace for small mistakes because he's so, so talented. And I, I've completely changed my tune on Justin Herbert. i got no problem saying that. I'll put up with a couple mistakes because he's also making some really, really high-level throws. Justin had this beautiful long touchdown down the right sideline. Uh, just, just a beautiful ball, deep vertical, put it up in the air. He had multiple throws downfield. Uh, and I love watching Justin make big throws downfield. That's a big deal. Uh, not every quarterback can do that. Uh, like, you know, for example, Gardner Minshew has got a limited arm. Daniel Jones has a limited arm. 
And when you're more talented, you're going to get more grace and more opportunities. And Justin Herbert is very, very, very talented. Now, I do want to say there were some fans of the Chargers that said that, you know, they, they were mad the Chargers allowed to come back. And I got a lot of feedback from people saying that the Chargers coaching staff was too conservative on offense in the second half. And, you know, that conservative play calling was a problem. People literally said that to me. And I, that just could not be further from the truth. I, I don't know what game you were watching. I completely disagree. Look, I take very, very detailed notes when I watch a game. I watch with intense, intense uh, what do you call it, scrutiny. I'm always paying very close attention. And the Chargers scored 16 points in the second half. That's four scoring drives, a touchdown, and three field goals. Uh, and the Chargers as a team had 210 yards rushing. But the reality is the drives that the Chargers had in the second half that stalled early stalled when the Chargers were throwing the football in the second half. You know, how about this drive? There was a drive where, uh, we'll start here, first and 10 on the 34-yard line. The Chargers are up 21-3 to in the third quarter. And three straight incomplete passes killed the drive. On first and 10, they got a messed up RPO that happened. On second and 10, there was an incomplete pass on an outbreaking route to Mike Williams. And on third and 10, Justin Herbert had Jalen Guyton wide open deep and missed the throw. So the Chargers had to settle for a field goal after three incomplete passes. I don't know that throwing the football vertically is what I would call conservative play calling. You know, on the very next drive, again, there were three straight passes that led to a Chargers punt. Uh, first and 10 was a trick play. They had Keenan Allen throw a pass. I, I would not call that conservative at all. On second and 10, Justin did not see a linebacker floating outside uh, and throwing a swing route. That's a very dangerous pass. Got lucky. Nothing really bad happened. It just felt incomplete. That's actually very fortunate. And on third and 10, there was a simple throw for three yards, and the Chargers had to punt. Now, later on third and six, again, Justin was not on the same page as a receiver. I just, my point here is to say that saying the Chargers lost this game and allowed the Broncos to come back because their offensive play calling was conservative is just totally inaccurate. I could not disagree more. I don't think it's even something you can disagree on. It's just wrong and not true. And I think that people are starting to get a little bit too defensive about Justin Herbert, like especially, I don't, I don't know if stand is something I'm allowed to say. I actually don't fully know the meaning of it. But what my, my understanding of the word stand is that you love somebody no matter what they do. And I think people are becoming stands of Justin Herbert and diving a little too deep into, uh, they, they act like he can do no wrong. And it's okay to think critically. Thinking critically does not mean you're bad-mouthing somebody. And I think Justin Herbert fans are going a little bit overboard. Uh, and I hope people realize he's not perfect. And that's totally okay. He's a young quarterback. He gets grace. He makes mistakes. That's totally fine. And it's kind of like people are afraid to say that, you know, if it's not the coach's fault for this loss, then it must be Justin Herbert's fault. And that could never be. It could never be Justin Herbert's fault. And so I would just encourage people, stop looking for blame. This game was a loss. It sucks. They're 2-5. and five. Uh, every time the Chargers lose a game, it's actually good for them, by the way. They were never going to make the playoffs this year. Losing games actually helps them get a higher draft pick. So I got no problem with that. 
And I think people got to stop looking for people to blame and start just appreciating it. You got the right quarterback. I think you got the right coach. Let's allow this team to develop and get better rather than pointing blame at somebody just because you want somebody else to blame. Well, again, I don't think did anything wrong. The problem was not that the Chargers allowed that they had conservative play calling an offense. That's just a silly, stupid thing. Uh, and a weird feedback note that I just did not agree with and isn't true at all. Now, I want to end this segment by comparing the two interceptions each quarterback had in the second half. One from Drew Locke, one from Justin Herbert. They have been basically back-to-back, like three plays were between the interceptions. And the lesson here is that not all interceptions are made equal. It's all situational. So Drew Locke had a bad interception where it was a double move down the right sideline, Drew Locke pump faked, but the safety is in position from the very beginning. Drew Locke kind of stares this ball down, and it was really one of the easier interceptions of Rashawn Jenkins' career. It's a bad decision where he's forcing a throw to Jerry Judy, and he's not open. Now, in contrast, Justin Herbert's second-half interception was actually what I would consider a good decision. Here's why. It's a throw to the end zone. Bryce Callahan picks it off. But you got to realize, Bryce Callahan is five foot nine. He's guarding a six foot four Mike Williams. And Mike Williams is a jump ball monster. So I look at that and go, that's a good matchup. You throw that ball. It's you got a, a guy who's five nine guarding a guy who's six foot four who outjumps people his own height. So you give credit to the defense. It's a matchup you think you would normally win because that's a good matchup you take ten out of ten times. And I guess my point here is that again, not every interception is the same. It's okay to have nuance. It's all situational. And uh, it's just an example of, you can't just look at stats and say, this guy is good because of these numbers, or this guy's bad because of these numbers. That's an interception that looks like maybe a bad throw by Justin Herbert that is actually a really good decision and a good ball. Whereas a coach, you go, yeah, I agree with that decision. That's a matchup you should win, and we'll take that 10 out of 10 times. So, by the way, I really think that Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are so perfectly suited to play alongside a Justin Herbert with his skill set. I don't know, man. I walked away. I really love this game. I, I, anytime I get to watch a divisional game with two young quarterbacks, kind of reminded me of Baker Mayfield versus Joe Burrow a couple weeks ago. Uh, in the end, the Broncos won. But this is a, a matchup that I feel I just want to see this happen a lot as time goes on. And uh, I think for years to come, I'm hoping we're going to have really good matchups between Justin Herbert and the Chargers and Drew Locke, and the Denver Broncos. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about some, we'll do some NFL news, and we'll talk about the Vikings beating the Packers and the Saints. Well, the Saints, oh my gosh. No, the Seattle Seahawks beating the 49ers. The 49ers are in bad shape. Uh, tonight, the Packers play the 49ers, and I I, I think COVID's going to have a big impact on the game. But you got to realize, the San Francisco 49ers are just totally devoid of talent everybody's injured or hurt and it's really really bad so I I caution you if you're watching the game tonight do not have high expectations for the San Francisco 49ers if they win this game it's just another example of how much of a genius their head coach Kyle Shanahan truly is guys my name is Zach Schaumler I'm gonna take a short break I will be right back all right we are back uh I want to jump in by saying that in my opinion, here are the three best games in college football this weekend. Number one, you have, I guess, number one, Clemson at Notre Dame. That's Clemson without Trevor Lawrence playing Notre Dame. Uh, this could be the two teams that play again 
in the ACC Conference Championship. I'm really excited for that game. The uh, se- the second game I'm excited to watch in college football this weekend, number five, Georgia, at number eight, Florida. That's in Jacksonville. What I'm excited about, really, is I, I think Georgia's got limitations at quarterback with Stetson Bennett. Nothing against him. He's a 5'11 guy. You know I love short quarterbacks. I was a short, not very talented quarterback myself. Um, but what I'm really excited to watch is Florida's quarterback, Kyle Trask, against this Georgia defense. How does he do? I've been waiting for this game for weeks. Uh, it's going to be really, really fun in Jacksonville. And then here's a game. I, I truly believe people are sleeping on this game. It's unranked Arizona at USC. USC is the 20th ranked team in the nation. I am telling you, I think it's a lot closer than an unranked team playing a, a top 25 team. I think it's a good matchup. I think it's interesting. Arizona State's really, really building their program. Uh, it's the two best quarterbacks in the Pac-12. If there's a game you want to, like, here's the benefit. It's at 9 a.m. on East uh, West Coast time. 9 a.m. West Coast time is when this game starts. Check in on it. it I think it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, and at the worst case scenario, flip your TV to it, check it out, because I think it's going to be good. If it's bad, hey, you can leave, but I think you should check out this game. Arizona State at USC, I think it's going to be phenomenal in college football this weekend. Now let's jump into some NFL news. I want to talk about the NFL. Uh, the 49ers cut receiver Dante Pettis. Remember, he's a former second-round pick out of Boise State. Boise State? No, no. I think his brother was Boise State. I think he was actually at Washington. Someone correct me. Put it in the comments or something. Uh, the Giants have claimed Dante Pettis off of waivers. I thought it was interesting they released him. Uh, there, there's more to this story than we know. I want to do a follow-up to why they released Dante Pettis. I'm just giving you the news. I don't exactly know why yet. Uh, I'm sure somebody's out there somewhere talked about it, but it's just interesting to me. Like, huh? They have a bunch of guys injured uh, and on co- you know with COVID at re- the receiver spot. Oh yeah, by the way, they also cut Dante Pettis. The, the 49ers are literally down to Trent Taylor, like one guy to catch passes uh, tonight on Thursday Night Football. I have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, now another big story. Lions starting quarterback Matthew Stafford has been put on the COVID-19 reserve list. That's a big deal. He got COVID. That's not good. I guess we don't know if he got COVID, but we at least know that either he has COVID or was in contact with somebody who does have COVID. The 49ers COVID list, uh, they just updated it. It's Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuels, Trent Williams. Their facility is actually closed. The 49ers facility is. I also read that the Bears have closed Hallis Hall. Uh, The Bears have shut down their facility because of positive COVID tests. Uh, the Texans got a positive COVID test. Their facility is shut down as well. Uh, three players are out for Sunday's game. They're all linebackers, meaning that the Texans' defense is really, really li- uh, hampered and limited on Sunday. They're losing Whitney Merciless, Dylan Cole, and Jacob Barton. And Jacob Barton actually did test positive for COVID. Uh, now, c- because of contact tracing, the other two guys are out for Sunday's game. Uh, the Texans are dealing with COVID. Uh, I also want to point out that the Buccaneers announced they are very, very satisfied with the condition that Antonio Brown showed up with. Uh, I, I guess my point is Antonio Brown showed up in really, really good shape to the Broncos, to the, the, what am I saying? The, did I say Broncos? Oh my gosh. I, I cannot believe I talk for a living sometimes. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were very, very excited to see, wow, Antonio Brown showed up to our facility in really good shape. He's ready to go. He's fit. He's been working out very hard. It says a lot about him and who he is. Uh, that he, he he made sure he was prepared for this moment physically. Remember, the Ravens signed Des Bryant. It sounded like Des Bryant was not in physical shape, had to be put on the practice squad. 
just interesting. Uh, now, the Vikings, there's a story that I missed, and I apologize. Um, I meant to talk about this a while ago. I, I think the truth is I don't have a lot to say about it, but the Vikings have traded defensive end Yannick Ngakwe to the Baltimore Ravens. The Vikings get a 2021 third-round pick and a 2022 second-round pick. If you remember earlier in the year, the Vikings actually traded a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick to get Yannick Ngakwe from the Jaguars. They have now traded him away for a third-round pick and a fifth-round pick. So it's just interesting. Uh, they, they got, instead of a second and a fifth, they got a third and fifth back. Um, but and, and I hope I did say you know fifth-round pick that they traded for. So it's just interesting. The Vikings basically borrowed Yannick Ngakwe for a couple of weeks and said, uh, we suck, it's not working, bye, we'll get more draft picks. Just interesting, notable, we're talking about really briefly. All right, I want to shift gears to something that I, I thought was really impressive this past weekend. On Sunday, the Minnesota Vikings beat the Green Bay Packers 28-22. to This was a game in Green Bay, outdoors, in the cold, and in the wind. So the Packers are now 5-2, and two. the Vikings are now 2-5. and five. Uh, This was a very, very impressive win for Minnesota. Here's why. I actually want to start with some stats. I don't normally talk about statistics and numbers, but listen to this. Kirk Cousins, the Vikings quarterback, was 11 for 14 passing. He had 160 yards with one touchdown. And the touchdown, by the way, is misleading because it was literally a simple screen pass to Dalvin Cook, their running back. Dalvin Cook took that pass, that little tiny dump-off screen, 50 yards for a touchdown, weaving through defenders, So Dalvin Cook basically did all the work on that play. Now, Dalvin Cook also ran the ball 30 times for 163 yards and three touchdowns. On Sunday, Dalvin Cook was the entire Vikings offense. It was a Dalvin Cook show. The Vikings ran the ball for more yards than they threw. Literally, they had more rushing yards than passing yards. They also ran the ball over twice as much as they threw the ball on Sunday. Kirk Cousins was not asked to do you know to do much of anything actually on Sunday, uh, he was super efficient, but the Vikings had no turnovers. They played very efficient, clean football, and basically what I'm trying to get at is that this was the most Mike Zimmer game of all time. Mike Zimmer is the Vikings head coach. He's a defensive minded coach. He loves to run the football. He really doesn't trust quarterbacks. This is exactly how Mike Zimmer wants the Vikings to play all year, all the time. Every single game. And actually, this style, if somehow Minnesota can keep it up, could save Mike Zimmer's job. Because uh, here's the thing. You're stuck with Kirk Cousins. you got to make it work with Kirk. You, you can't trade him. He signed a gigantic guaranteed contract. Nobody wants that contract. Uh, so if you're going to win in Minnesota, you got to do it with Kirk Cousins. Mike Zimmer doesn't trust quarterbacks. He especially does not trust Kirk Cousins. At least he definitely doesn't by what I've seen. And I guess this game plan is interesting. If this is their plan moving forward, I'm curious because if you don't ask Kirk to to do much of anything, you actually can't hide his problems. Now, that's not why you paid him. You gave him a gigantic, massive contract. Looks like a bad deal to me. Uh, But that's a problem for another day. I I just think it's interesting and kind of cool that Mike Zimmer found a way to win. Like Despite all odds, said, hey, I'm going to find a way to win this football game, and we're just going to will it into existence. Um, it was an impressive win by the Vikings. They were up 28-14 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. And the Vikings' defense played very, very well. This is interesting to me because it was funny. In my prediction for this game, I gave praise to the Vikings' offense, or Vikings' defense, excuse me. 
the Vikings defense. And uh, Vikings fans called me crazy. They said, I know nothing about their team. Why would you praise our defense? Uh, Well, I've watched every single Vikings game this year. And I I would question, did you watch the second half? Because the Vikings defense got stop after stop after stop. Uh, They forced the Packers to punt twice. That's Aaron Rodgers, a former MVP quarterback who's been rolling recently. They stopped the Packers on fourth down twice. Now, a missed pass interference call probably gave them a stop on fourth and nine. And there was one drive where the Packers punted because basically they had two holding penalties in a row, leaving them with a fourth and 22. But my point is that the Vikings defense looked very, very well coached. Uh, Early on, Jeff Gladney got beat twice by Devontae Adams for touchdowns. But in spite of that, they bounced back. Jeff Gladney did bounce back, played better in the second half. And I guess I'm simply curious whether or not the Vikings can keep that style of play going. You know, barely throw the football, pound the rock, run the ball a ton with Dalvin Cook, play clean football, have no turnovers, play solid defense. I don't think there's any way that can last forever. I mean, at some point, they're going to need Kirk Cousins to step up and throw the football very well. But if somehow, by some miracle, Minnesota can keep doing this all year, um, they might have saved their coach's job, which is very interesting to me. Uh, I am fascinated by the game plan the Vikings had to beat the Packers and the way they beat the Packers on Sunday. Now, really, the only thing I have to say about Green Bay is that uh, I, I just, for me, the highlight of this game was, wow, can you believe Minnesota? But there was a cool moment at the end. It didn't really matter, but I think it's worth talking about. Uh, I guess, obviously, because I'm talking about it. The Packers lined up to spike the ball with literally 17 seconds left. And uh, Aaron Rodgers had a moment of realization. Hey, oh my gosh, we're in a bad formation. And he said, get on the line. Get, you heard it audibly. He goes, get on the line. He's yelling to his running back, put his running back on the line outside the, le- uh, the right tackle, kind of like a tight end. Because Aaron Rodgers realized, hey, we're not in a legal formation. If we get a penalty here, it's a 10-second runoff. And I just, it, it ended up not mattering. Uh, Aaron Rodgers on the next play tried to, you know, extend a play and throw a Hail Mary. He got hit as he threw, fumbled. But it is worth pointing out that I think it's cool. Aaron Rodgers had this in this intense moment with, you know, a lot of stuff going on. His mind was calm. He said, we're not in the right formation. And I, I don't think a lot of quarterbacks have the self-awareness to even realize, like, yeah, we need a guy on the line of scrimmage covering up the the right tackle. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting little moment where Aaron Rodgers, despite chaos, was totally calm and made a very smart, intelligent, important decision. And uh, if I ever meet Aaron Rodgers, that's a moment I'm going to point out and go, Can you, do you remember that at all? Because it just was impressive to me that Aaron totally was well aware of the situation and had a heady, smart play. Now, on Sunday, the Seattle Seahawks beat the San Francisco 49ers 37-27. to Seattle is now 6-1 and one after the win, the 49ers after losing their 4-4. Four and four. And uh, this game was interesting in the first half. It, uh, halftime, Seattle was up 13-7. to seven. Uh, Then in the second half, I guess in the third quarter, really, Seattle got back-to-back touchdowns when the 49ers fumbled a kickoff. And then uh, right after that, Jimmy Garoppolo actually got knocked out of the game. So Seattle led 30-7 to seven at one point. I want to give credit to DK Metcalf. He had a monster day. Uh, he had 12 catches for 161 yards, two touchdowns. DK Metcalf is unbelievable. Russell Wilson had four touchdowns. And the 49ers walk away from this game just in bad shape. 
where Jimmy Garoppolo has struggled all year. He's hurt. He's got a high ankle sprain. And it's hard to tell. I've always looked at Jimmy Garoppolo and gone, he's got a very average to maybe even limited arm. But he is struggling to throw the ball downfield. There was only one drive in this game. It was actually the 49ers touchdown drive that had Jimmy Garoppolo involved with it. Uh, you know, it ended with a running touchdown by Jarek McKinnon, but it was the best drive of the day where Jimmy was throwing a couple good balls midway through the second quarter. Other than that, he did not look good throwing the ball. There's moments where I go, Jimmy, what's happening? And it's hard to tell whether or not the high ankle sprain is what's causing it. A lot of people say that uh, it's the injury, but also I'm watching Jimmy Garoppolo run around really well and he's making some throws really well. So he's hit or miss. And I just, I, I don't know, like if you have a high ankle sprain, can you run as well as Jimmy Garoppolo did a couple times? Uh, I also wonder how much of it is just physical limitations. Jimmy Garoppolo has a very average arm. Now, regardless of any of that, right now, currently, the best 49ers, to, the, the best quarterback the 49ers have is Nick Mullins. He's a guy who I have called him before the best backup maybe in the entire NFL. Uh, and he's the best 49ers quarterback right now by a lot. He runs their offense very well. I always talk about driving the car down the road. The 49ers offense is a high-performance sports car. You just need a guy who can drive it down the road, keep it on the road, and not crash. Uh, now, unfortunately, I love Nick Mullins. He's really a, a technically very good quarterback. He makes good decisions. He's throwing the ball well. I think he's actually got a slightly better arm than Jimmy G, which I know is blasphemous, but it's true. Unfortunately, though, I don't know that Nick Mullins is being put in a position to succeed, other than the fact that he's obviously got a great head coach, Kyle Shanahan. Between COVID and injuries, listen to this. He, just, these are just some of the 49ers players that are out. You have, you're missing Trent Williams, the left tackle. You're missing George Kittle and Jordan Reed, by the way. So both of your tight ends are out. George Kittle, the best tight end in football. That's a big deal. Uh, three receivers, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and Kendrick Bourne. They're all out. You cut Dante Pettis at receiver. I mean, no joke. All that's left for the 49ers to throw to is Trent Taylor at this point. And like Kyle Hughes, check your fullback. It's a big deal. It's not good. Um, and I'm really curious, you know, tonight the Packers play the 49ers. The Packers are, the 49ers are going to have to get really, really creative to move the ball at all against the 49ers, given how few weapons they have. Uh, I am just, I've been saying this all year. Nobody's done a better coaching job than Kyle Shanahan finding ways to win despite lots of limitations around you. And if Kyle Shanahan can get through this next couple weeks of games and have a good uh, stretch, He's my coach of the year. What Kyle Shanahan has done to this point, and I think it might end tonight where Kyle Shanahan, I think, might get blown out and embarrassed by the Green Bay Packers. Uh, what Kyle Shanahan has done to this point is just incredible, doing so much with so little. And uh, unfortunately, I think the luck has run out. There's too many injuries. There's too many guys missing. And Nick Mullins, despite being the best quarterback on the 49ers roster, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope Nick Mullins is phenomenal. He beats the Packers and is great. Unfortunately, I think he's being set up to fail because of how many people they're missing. Left tackle, two tight ends, three receivers. It's not good. And uh, we'll see what happens, but I, I have very little confidence. And I'm honestly, I'm really very disappointed in the, the really the bad luck the San Francisco 49ers have had this year. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. A very short episode in and out. Um, I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. We'll talk about the Packers 49ers game. Uh, we'll talk about, we'll do Ask Zach tomorrow. That'll be really fun. Answer a lot of questions. Um, 
Yeah, love you. Have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.